Hello to you all and welcome to another episode of Made of Things. Uh, this episode goes out to my dad and prayers for him because uh, he's now in the hospital spending the night uh, and we're worried uh, over him but apparently he's okay now and being in control. Just some heart complications and uh, man it's been a rough year. Uh, but um, Guys, on the show this week, we have Mark Gardner from the band Ride. Uh, but before we get to that, I'm finally going to tell you the story I've been promising for a while. Um, Alright, so as you might know, I traveled to Brighton a month or so ago to attend the King Crimson show and interview uh, Pat Masolato, one of their drummers and a longtime drummer now. And um, so I also went to Brighton to go on vacation which was fantastic and very necessary, and uh, also to hang out with my friends uh, living over there. So what I didn't tell you was that I also had the chance to attend more shows, which is something quite common in the UK. And uh, one of the shows I wanted to attend was by the gold standard of British stand-up comedy, that is, Stuart Lee. So, Stuart was doing an unusually small show in Brighton at this place called Sticky Mike's Frog Bar for an attendance of about 100 people. Now, if you're from the UK or a very big comedy fan, you might be perfectly aware of who Stuart Lee is. Uh, maybe you've heard Mark Maron uh, talk to him and about him a lot over at the WTF podcast. But he's a big name in the UK and has been recently playing only crowds upwards of 700 people, more or less. Uh, obviously, more or less, never exactly 700 people. Um, which is, you know... Quite a lot of people for a stand-up show, and um, not that many for sports. Hmm. You know, but even for rock music, uh, it's not that shabby of an amount. So naturally, tickets for a hundred capacity uh, person show crowd. Lo loose words, uh, you know, tickets sold out in about six minutes, uh, which meant that there was no way to make sure that I was uh, going to be attending this show. In fact, I had already had my heart broken from not being able to attend the Mark Maron stand-up show uh, in London, uh, because he played about two hours before my flight arrived on that exact same night, and the show was announced only a few weeks in advance, so obviously I had all already booked my flight and um, you know so I missed Mark's show and uh, and I might not get the chance to ever see Mark's show again and uh, I was thinking the same could happen with the Stuart Lee show. What you should realize here is that important international comedians never really come to Portugal. Uh, you know many people don't speak the English language over here at such an advanced level at it that is. You know most people have basic English skills but uh, you know to understand, to understand comedy it really has to you know you need to be uh, going a little further but you know maybe you know international comedians uh, coming to Portugal may become common practice in the future uh, but as we are in the moment uh, nothing of the sort is happening over here so you either have to really travel or uh, you know live abroad in order to go to comedy shows with you know the sort of names I'm talking about and uh, in Portugal we only get Portuguese comedians really you know even that alone has only been going on for about a decade only. So, yeah, you know, going to those shows was pretty important to me. 
So my friends were already going to the show and I decided to tag along anyway because there might be some leftover tickets from people who couldn't make it in the end. Uh, and, uh, you know, there you go. My lucky self uh, found a way to buy a ticket and attend the show via the means of being patient and going the extra mile. Not only that, as I got a third row seat right in the center, so, you know, I was pretty close to the stage. Stuart Lee goes on and starts being even more hilarious than I had, you know, fathomed or imagined in any way. This is a person who's really matured his comedy style and skills and is probably at his all-time best. You know, even though many of you might disagree, I don't really care. Uh, Stuart did about two hours in the end, uh, and as tradition in stand-up goes, there was some crowd work. You know, crowd work is basically comedians, um, you know, uh, talking to the crowd, and uh, there's some interaction in terms of, you know... uh, people being able to improvise on the spot and being funny in relation to what uh, people in the crowd are saying. Uh, and, you know, some people in the crowds are informed and really go for that, sometimes even going too far. And uh, one woman in the front seat kept uh, talking during his set, like in- interjecting, and uh, doing things like taking pictures and, uh, you know, up to the point of it almost not being acceptable. Now, um, I know of Stuart Lee and his persona, and I also know that it is common sense and decency, really, not to be taking pictures during a show. Guys, I'll tell you why this is disrespectful. It is disrespectful because while you're taking pictures, you know, be it of a comedy show or of a rock show or of a show of any kind, for the moment you're taking a picture, you're actually paying more attention to yourself than to the show. And you're actually not listening. Kind of like when you're... Way less dangerous than this, but kind of like when you're texting while driving. You're not really driving. So the way shows work is that, you, if you don't know, you try to pay attention so that the memories you have of the show you're watching and or listening to are the memories in your brain and not something on your phone that you're probably never going to look at again. With all this in mind, you know, and also that Stuart is the sort of guy who hates this picture-taking culture, I became extremely tempted to make an exception for myself. It is unlikely that I am ever going to attend the Stuart Lee show again, and the woman in the front uh, was you know, must have been taking dozens of pictures, so I decided to go for it as well. I took about two pictures with my phone, but they turned out crappy, so I went for it again. And I must have gone a little too far, because suddenly Stuart stops the show and looks straight at me with a pitbull stance and something very close to hatred in his eyes. So he stared at me and went, what are you doing? What are you doing? And immediately I wanted him to make sure that I knew I was doing something stupid and I said, I apologize, I know, I'll put this away, I'll put this away. But he asked me again, yes, but what are you doing? So I replied, "Uh, sorry Stu, I was just taking a picture because I came from Portugal to see your show. Now, the crowd's reaction was sort of a mix between laughter, cheer, and clapping. Sort of like a, (laughs) ha 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 ha, you know, as British crowds go. So, Stuart holds his microphone, looks down and to the side a bit, and goes, 
Uh, well, the audience has spoken. Usually I take that away from you, but who am I to tell the audience they're wrong? So this is a good example of how something that is inherently stupid can turn into something heartwarming and endearing. Stewart clearly understood that this was a big compliment, so he carried on with the show for a few seconds, but then cut to, really, Portugal? Yep. Don't you guys eat a lot of sardines over there? Do you eat sardines as well? Well, I don't have much of a choice to. <laughs> this was a reference to an old bit he used to do about going to Portugal and uh, Lisbon and how he eat a lot of sardines uh, during the patron saint's day. I'm not sure he was aware of that. I can't remember. Him saying that back to me was my reward, uh, really, uh, like a, a little pat on my back for having traveled far to see his show and, you know, doing something stupid, but for sweet purposes, really. You know, I shouldn't have done it, but I don't really, really regret it now. It was also mentioned, by the way, in the uh, Brighton Review uh, review of the show. So if you go online and look for Brighton Review Portugal, you'll find confirmation of this incident. You know... Stuart, you know, I'm talking to you now. Uh, look, man, uh, now I don't really have to look at the pictures to remember the show forever in my head. So to me, you've won, man. There you go. I hope we cross paths some some time in the future. I know. Okay, now about our guest this week. Uh, Mark Gardner is a member of the band Ride, who were one of the forefront names of the whole shoegaze thing in Britain back in the late 90s. They were never the most popular of bands, and surely never got as popular as My Bloody Valentine, but I remember listening to them back in the day, particularly this amazing track called Mousetrap, which I would still advise you to go check out on YouTube or something. Uh, and Or buy the record. Buy a, buy a song for once. And um, Ride also, you know, became even more popular when guitarist Andy Bell joined Oasis. And, uh, you know, he's also part of Liam Gallagher's BDI. And, uh, you know, that fact certainly called more attention to the excellent band that is Ride. So much like with Slow Dive, which is another shoegaze band who also called it quits at some point in the early 2000s or late 90s maybe, um, Primavera was the main catalyst for their reunion at this point in time. Uh, while I was working and hanging out in Barcelona the week before, I got the chance to go up to Mark Gardner and Lars Colbert, and uh, or Colbert, I don't know, should ask him next time, and talk to them for a bit. Uh, you know, and there seems to be some sort of weird myth involving Ride as being a bit difficult or curmudgeon -y. But uh, I have to say, you know, I didn't find that at all. The guys seemed extremely happy, for one, and were very nice. And uh, we even set up an interview for the week afterwards. And, you know, my, my opinion about meeting people is that it's really very much about how you talk to people and uh, how you carry yourself and, uh, you know, what you project onto others. And I'm talking to you directly now, to the listener, saying that you don't have to be that guy. You know, it's on you if you're that guy. But, you know, more on this next week. So before we get to my chat with Mark, I should just point out that I had just ran out of the Dan Deacon episode, so I was a bit winded at first, and uh, also pretty nervous, because uh, this episode with Mark could... Uh, 
never have happened because you know there were some weird security issues but Mark had my back so we ended up recording this before the show at Primavera in Porto so here is my conversation with Mark Gardner of the excellent ride you guys went to to Barcelona where we met yeah and uh, the uh, we went to Barcelona and then you guys went back to the US we went yeah. to the US and went to Toronto as well yeah right and yeah. then uh, and then came back you must be exhausted no no really <laughs> <laughs> um, no I feel fine I mean it's because okay so I think initially we the schedule was a little bit different similar I mean how it was mapped out we wanted to we wanted to hit you know lots of places at, you know, at a similar sort of time but the schedule is okay but then Primavera Portugal came a little later to say hey we want you to it wasn't you know we didn't book the Prima, the Portugal one as, at the same time as the Spain one so we thought that we'd just be going to America then flying back to England and then have a day of rest or whatever before we then do field day which is a big headline show for us but um, because then Porto came up and we went well of course we'd love to do it but um, so we, we slotted it in a whole Uh-huh. Um, but it's fine, you know. We're okay. We we upgraded the band, upgraded themselves on the plane. So we, as soon as we sat on the plane, we popped a sleeping pill and <laughs> put the beds. You know, we had the sort of, you know, we just slept. So I slept fine. I didn't even. I was pushed this morning. I didn't even know that the plane landed. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, so it, I, I was fine. And then we we sort of slept in the bus on the way here from um, uh, from Lisbon. Oh, sure. So you know, but it's we've we've all been pretty getting you know. We're getting fit for this, so I feel okay. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. What was it like playing Primavera in Barcelona? I saw the show; it was amazing. It was, was amazing. Yeah. Was it amazing for you guys? That's, that's my question. I it guess. was. It was. It wasn't really until afterwards that I realized the scale of it because I'd kind of, I'd walked around a little bit, but not much, and I knew that I'd got some family and friends there who were at the in the VIP section for the main stage, um, which you know is like halfway back, and and after the show, I went there to meet them. And I was just like, wow, it's just, it's huge. And it's like, then I realized like what we've done in a way. I mean, when, I, I guess, I guess in a sense, we've, we've got the same crew, we've got the same monitoring system now. So what we try and do from stage to stage is just to feel comfortable with the monitoring and that we're, it's another show. But mm-hmm. I, I realized when we were playing, this is a big show. I could just sort of see a sea of people, but you can, you can't really, it's, it's kind of, you can't really understand it from, from where you are, you know, until, like I say, until you go out and see see it and uh, it was huge yeah I think it's got to be probably maybe second I think I think Red in 92 was probably our biggest show we ever played but that's probably close to it yeah the, with the amount of people that were there there's probably 40 50,000 people I don't really know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah probably probably uh, I actually that ties in with something I'd like to ask you because uh, uh, the time um, the, the, the uh, do you guys remember well it seems that um, that your sound It was perfect for that huge, um, you know, space, and uh, so and it seems like you guys have been playing for big crowds for a long time. Have you played any clubs uh, in the past? I don't know, 20 years. I mean, I, I mean, individually, of course, we've 
Andy's obviously been doing lots of Oasis shows and BDI shows. I also did lots of um, big shows with Rhinoceros, which maybe a lot of people don't know that, but I was doing guest vocal for those. So we did some big shows, like had the headlining Benny Kassim and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think with the sound, it's all about having a good crew and a, and a great sound man. And also, we've individually been working on our own sounds so that so that it just is bigger. You know, I mean, th- this is the challenge. We couldn't come back and be the same as what we were because when we were doing what we were doing back then we were generally playing sort of smaller shows and not such big festivals all the time we did Reading which is a big festival of course but and we did Glastonbury but so the, we knew that when we came back we'd we'd have to be make this work on a bigger stage and I, and I think that the, we've worked hard to do that you know the challenge has been to come back and not just come back and just kind of be like uh, 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 just the same if not but not better than it what we had to come back and make it sound bigger and better so that's what we've been working on doing yeah uh-huh, uh-huh. And I, I had the uh, I had uh, the chance to meet you guys at Barcelona it was lovely you guys were very pleasant and very very nice and um, the uh, the I, I actually I had the chance to ask this uh, or tell this little story to Lawrence and I, I believe I didn't tell you because I when I was a kid I had um, tar- I bought tarantula uh-huh. uh, and I also had the going bike again but the tarantula album the um, back uh, the back uh, of the CD you know the inlet thing I, I don't know yeah. the thingy I also had um, it said ride tarantula obviously but then I also had another CD for the, the first one of by the cardigans much more around more or less around the same year like 96 or 97 or something and uh, some for some reason the distri- uh, dist- uh, the distribution in Portugal was um, had the same had they made a mistake and the cardigans album also had the uh, ride tarantula thing uh, Inlet. So the description on the side. When I organized my my CDs vertically, um, I had two tarantula to buy ride. So I guess that's uh, that's a free promotion. I guess. I guess. I guess. Yeah. I, I don't really know. I don't. I don't know anything about that. I, it's not even an album I know that well myself because it was it was our last album. I didn't. I didn't. I still couldn't tell you the track listing from one to eleven. So it was something a moment in time. But I'm really happy with some of the songs. On it, and I'm happy that we're playing Black Knight Crush because that's turning out to be really good. Uh-huh. This wasn't even proper question, a proper question, but it was like an, a- an anecdote I thought you had to know. Yeah, yeah, that's like, good. good. You, you guys have been playing. Um, uh, you guys have been playing with. I've, I, each time I see you guys playing, I seem to notice that you're playing with different guitars. Have you been sticking sticking with any uh, gear or brand? Um, different guitars yeah. from the the, fir- the first time you mean? Yes. Yeah, they are different. Um, so again, part of making the sound bigger was to um, I, f- I understand a lot more than I did then mm-hmm. about guitars you know when I was 18, 19 we then we had student grant to eat for a few months when we were students and I spent mine on a guitar mm-hmm. so that was the first guitar I bought which I used a lot in ride but um, when I knew this was going to happen last year I went on a search to find um, some really great gu- uh, guitar and to spend more money and um, I found a 19 sort of 60s vintage drag which sounds amazing That's, you know I tried lots of them and that was an amazing one um, and then a, and a Rickenbacker 12 string as well I've, I've got other Rickenbacker 12 strings but this one is really stable and um, so yeah they are they were kind of bought for this and again with in mind to, to be bigger and better sounding than what we had before sure sure mm. sure um, are there still um, uh, tricky 
scenes and tricky little dreams uh, in your life currently? Always. Oh. Yeah, always. Uh, outside of when you're doing music, you you know, in a way you're kind of told you need to be here, you need to do that, so you get out and do that, but life outside is always tricky, yeah, of course. And that's I mean, I don't I don't think I'm alone there, you know, I have a daughter uh, now, so um, there's different sorts of tricky things, but yeah, it's always always tricky. Yeah. Uh, just one last thing, like um, this goes on a podcast. I've just launched it's number four in Portugal uh, on iTunes, and um, the, it's called Made of Things, and it's based on the uh, on the the assumption that people uh, that artists have dedicated their lives to uh, playing uh, to playing music or doing yeah. whatever art they're doing uh, because they heard something or watched something that made them go, that acted like a trigger uh, that made them oh I need to do this my whole life. Uh, did you have that moment? Yeah, I did. Um, what with? Uh, I had I had a, two or three moments like that. One with my uncle who first played me when I was like six, seven, eight years old. He first sat me down in front of his big speakers and put on kind of Eddie Cochran um, loud, you know. And then also he put on Surfs Up, Beach Boys, um, loud, you know. It's the first guy that and, and Rock Around the Clock, but you know he was into rock and roll, you know. And so he he was the first guy to really play me music loud, and it, it was just like wow. And that's what he wanted to do. But then when I was a teenager, I also went to see uh, like the Damned and the Colts live at the Oxford venue. And um, and even people like Big Country, you know, which is kind of interesting. But uh, Andy went to see the Smiths, which I'm really jealous about. I, I missed that one. But uh, after, after, after I saw those three concerts in, in, my, in the new theatre, it's called, in Oxford, I just then thought that one day I'm going to be here with, with a band that I'm in and play this place but I never thought I would I mean it was just a, to me a crazy ambition that but it was also around that time I was becoming close friends with Andy at school and I think we shared maybe the same dreams in that way and, and also you know we we were probably what brought us together as school friends was and all of the band is that we're all kind of complete music uh, which is crazy about music we love it and, and I still am that doesn't if anything even more in a way because it's sort of it's it's um, it's something yeah in music that's it for me it's something that is just uh, yeah incredible it's it's uh, it's a very powerful thing for me and um, and I feel yeah I feel very blessed that I treat it with respect because it a band can be there one minute and gone the next and I know I understand that like with rides what happened so I'm even more respectful of that now and I'm blessed that we can do this again and feel this sort of this feeling of kind of voodoo that we have when we play together on stage and take people on a kind of trip again it feels really good yeah it must it must warm your heart as well it does yeah I love it I mean and, uh, and also I don't need to be when I was younger I used to be a bit of a more of a kind of hippie uh, you know t doing getting very stoned all the time and all of that and always a bit like lost in space you know I'm more present now I understand what's going on and therefore the shows are also better because I'm not always stoned out my head anymore and stuff um, so so in a way yeah I'm, I'm feeling it more you know because all that all that stuff used to do when I was in my early 20s was just I didn't feel it so much you know it made me go sideways you know but now I feel uh, because I'm not hiding behind you know uh, marijuana and all that stuff I still smoke now and again but like not now before I play you know what I mean and in a way the music so you, you're finding something more in the music because you're more present I'm more present now than I used to be um, so and that means that at times it's sometimes a bit more terrifying 
time, but but when it's feeling good, it feels even better. Yeah, so it's good. It's a good feeling. So it's the the moral of the story is, don't be afraid of your feelings. Right? Yeah, and just um, yeah, and just I don't know. I mean, I think at the end of the day, uh, I sing and I represent confusion. You know, and and I think I don't have any answers. I'm not I'm not like a guy that's going to stand up and say to people, I've got answers in this life. I don't. You know, and I, I, and it's confusion to me. The life, and I think we're all kind of confused. It's like some people feel they might have got things sussed out, or maybe they have, but I, I've never felt like that. I think it's, I think the whole world and people are always, it's a, it's a confusion, you know, for me, and that's kind of what I sing about in a lot of ways and what I, I write about. It's, it's that sort of, it's the things you can't quite work out, and that's, that's to do with, you know, is there a God? I don't believe in God, you know, so there's, there's things like that, there's things like love, you know, there's all that sort of stuff which is always the things that are not exact sciences, you know, that you can't say, well, that plus that equals that, you know. Music is not an exact science, you know. People are not, people are complicated, you know, relationships are complicated, um, the world's complicated, politics are complicated, you know, it's like, so I think there's, there's loads of confusion and complication there to feed into a writing. And then you are, and in the end, let's just hope that on moments like this, in places like this, you can do something to take people away from the confusion, just to make people understand that we're all kind of confused and vulnerable, you know, in, in this mad world that we all live in, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Hopefully it's just, if it's a moment of liberation for people, then it's also for me, because I think it is, it's really powerful, you know, it's kind of, um, yeah, it's, that's, that's the power in it, yeah. Thank you so much, man. Mm. Thank you so much. That was my talk with Mark Gardner from Ride. Uh, we didn't have much time, as you might have guessed, as the guys had a really tight schedule. But, you know, you take what you can, right? Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and subscribe to things more often because that's what you need in your life. But seriously, if you uh, enjoy the podcast and this episode and all the other episodes, please subscribe on iTunes and follow us on uh, Instagram and follow us on Twitter at Made of Things Pod and uh, on Facebook as well, Made of Things. And never forget, and I mean never, ever, ever forget, that you can download all the episodes on WordPress. So guys, see you next week. There actually might be a surprise uh, earlier than next week, so stay tuned, because that's what you do with podcasts. Podcasts.